Hey friends, welcome to Boca, a podcast exploring the ever-blurring lines between the personal and business lives of professional photographers. This is your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm happy that you can join me today in connecting with photographers and entrepreneurs as we discuss photography, business, and oh yeah, that sometimes messy thing that we call life. This podcast is brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. All right, we're back for yet another podcast episode here at the Boca Podcast, and I'm here with a new friend of mine, Mary Brewer. Mary, thank you so much for making time for the Boca Podcast today. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks so much for having me. This is awesome. And it is, it's a privilege to have you here. You mentioned before we got started, you're actually calling in via phone. So this is a little bit of different format than we normally have, but you're out in the country. You said you're in the Green Bay, Wisconsin area? Yes. I am a, a born and raised Midwesterner. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, you know, there's something I've never lived in that area of the country before, but there's something that's really appealing to me about the simplicity of being in the country of wide open, expansive land. Does the appeal remain after all this time or is, is the snow getting old? What's it like? You know, today it's kind of cloudy and rainy and, and yucky outside. So that's where I tend to, you know, head to coffee shops to work just to kind of get that vibe going with a comfy, cozy atmosphere. It's yep. fun to look at throughout the window, but it's not really fun to stand in. So, yeah, so I feel like it's exactly the same. I love living here. I love the four seasons. Um, winters can get a bit long, especially when we have snowstorms in April. So hopefully that doesn't happen again this year. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. You know, things have been changing up a little bit weather-wise here as well. In the last year, year and a half or so, we've had a lot more rain. And I don't know if that has something to do with the way that, that our environment is shifting and changing, but it, it'll be interesting to see how things continue moving forward. Because I was just saying to somebody just the other day, if this kind of weather continues, I'm out. Like I want to go find somewhere more sunny, um, I, I, I'm not a huge fan of the rain. There's something to be said, I think, for what sun does for us, especially as business owners. Like you, you mentioned going to coffee shops. I'll do that sometimes just to get out and be around people as opposed to working at home. Yes. But then when you add on top of that cloudy, gloomy weather, I mean, that's great for a Sunday afternoon when you want to take a nap. But otherwise, during the week when you're working, it's just it's a it really kind of kills the mood, if you will, especially when you're working alone. So I, I'm, I want sun. And today it's sunny and I'm thankful for that. And uh, so we'll move on from the weather talk. But thanks so much for kind of giving us an intro as to where you're based. <laughs> and we normally actually start the podcast with something we call it a technique for time. Uh, and this is just very simply a tip that you might give to a fellow photographer about how you have created more space, more time for yourself in your day-to-day -day or week-to-week -week workflow. What is something that comes to mind? Um, planning is key. So I actually, before I go to bed every night, I just have this time for myself to kind of word vomit all of my thoughts out in a list format and whether or not I'm going to get all of those things done the next day or not. And then what I do is I'm just like, I'm just going to pick, I'll pick five things that have to get done tomorrow, no exceptions. And um, so that way I can at least feel like I have the ability to just get all of my thoughts out of my head onto a piece of paper, organize them a little bit, and set myself up for the next day so I can actually sleep at night. Sleep is huge, oh, and you need it. A hundred percent. You know, as much as we talk about being night owls and morning people and, and all of this thing, at the end of the day, there is a, a cycle, if you will, that is normal and natural for our bodies. 
and getting yeah. sleep within that that cycle is really really important. And this is a, it's a loaded topic for a whole different podcast or probably multiple podcast episodes, but um, it's really really huge. And so I, I love that you bring that up. But you mentioned, um, and in fact, I love this. We could probably do a whole podcast episode just on this topic <laughs> that you brought up just now. But this idea of kind of word vomiting—do you do that in a journal format or in some electronic format? How do you go about that? I have a journal right next to my bed. I talk, I'm a journal junkie. So I have journals in my bed, in my car, in my like backpack. I have paper and pen on me at all times. And then I also have my cellular device. If I like I'm at a doctor's appointment and I can't like whip out a journal, but I have a thought or an idea or something, I have to get it out. And yeah. um, that way it's somewhere. So yeah, I like, I love lists. I feel like lists are just really, you know, like I like the, the whole list idea where I'm just listing things one word per line um, as far as like my ideas go or just like thought process go. So that way I can come back to it and then I can re like organize it if I want to. So then I'll make a whole nother list and then keep fine tuning it until it's exactly what I want. How do you go about avoiding losing those lists? If you're doing most, a lot of it or most of it on paper, versus an electronic format that's syncing everywhere. This is something that I've been concerned about in the past um, that I've, we've talked about, I think, even on the podcast in the past. But honestly, mm-hmm. as of late, I've been considering a move to paper, at least for some um, kind of mind mapping and note taking as I'm reading. Uh, and again, another conversation for, for a different podcast episode, but you know, as much content as we consume just in modern day culture, whether it's social media or podcasts or we're reading or you know, listening to an audiobook or whatever it might be, I, I do consume a lot of content. I want to make sure I'm actually doing something with it. And what I've found is that I'm consuming right. so much content and not really consciously doing something with it as much as I should. And as a result, it just becomes this kind of noise. And I, I want to pay more attention when I am consuming that content. So my thought is, well, let me let me do a little bit of mind mapping and note taking, potentially with a, a either a physical notebook or maybe a tablet of some kind. But the, the thing about the paper is that you know I, I want to actually keep that those notes. And, um, and there are different ways to go about that, but I just, I, I don't want to run the risk of losing all that work that I put into mind mapping. So how do you go about avoiding that? And then ultimately organizing when you have multiple places that you're taking notes, how do you organize it all effectively in the end? Yeah. So, well, I, I think in pictures and I do have a photographic memory as far as like, I can remember when I set my daughter's hair piece in my closet underneath like a piece of paper, I know where things are. And I think that's just, I don't, not everyone's like that. And so I think it'll be different for everyone. Um, But I do have a main notebook that I keep with me for like a generalized ideas book or when I'm taking client notes, or like if I'm meeting for a consultation and kind of getting their vision and ideas written down. And then all I do is I just stick like a a bookmarker in there for it being a client. So that way I know that that's like my client notes. And then, and then everything else is just my ideas. And I just flip through it and add stuff to it from like my phone. I have to kind of create time. It's the time that you have to create to sit down and do it. Yes. So that way you can be like, okay, let me grab that notebook from the car because I know I wrote a few things down in there. I've got my phone on me and I've got everything that I possibly have taken notes on in one spot. So that way you can actually sit down and kind of like page through it and make sure that you've got everything in one location. It's just that when you're busy throughout the week, it's kind of hard to, you know, when you're somewhere and you have an idea, 
super hard to be like, well, I can't take this note because that notebook's at home underneath my dresser. Right, right. <laughs> you know, you, you want to be able to get it out, so writing it out on your phone. But I think scheduling a time to have in your workflow every single week of a brainstorming time where you just get to have at least an hour a week where you're just going through all of your ideas yeah. and then implementing a plan with them and taking them and doing something with them is really, really crucial being able to have some organization to it. You have to plan the time to sort. You have to plan the time to organize. It's so true. And it, we have to be proactive about that. I think a lot of photographers would probably be like, well, I, my, my week is, it's just crazy. It's busy. The idea of sitting down for an hour or two and, and planning, I don't have time for that. But the reality is we, we have time, first of all, for what we make time for. And that's just a simple, exactly. logical reality that we have to acknowledge, uh, especially as business owners. But there is something so incredibly soothing and therapeutic about actually sitting down and ideally in a quiet place where you can just sit and, and let it all flow out. And um, this is a, a principle that I think I've mentioned on the podcast at least once before, but um, David Allen in his book, Getting Things Done, he talks about this very idea about having a place where you can just unload mentally. Because the problem, of course, or at least one of the problems with keeping everything internally and, and not having a place that you can unload all those thoughts, those ideas, those tasks and projects is that you go to bed at night and it's all jumbled around in your head and it can potentially keep you from sleeping you might lose track of something that's really important. And and so having a place that you can regularly and consistently, systematically unload to and then manage all of those things that are on your mind, the things that need to get done, it's really important. I love that you started us off with this, and I think it's a great recommendation. We may have to do a whole separate podcast episode on this sometime because I, I can totally nerd out about it. But um, this is a great way to start off, and I really appreciate you you making that recommendation and, and sharing that experience with our listeners when you do have that opportunity, then when you have the free time, I guess I should say that you've created as a result of this planning, planning really is important. What it enables and encourages is structure, which then encourages create a freedom and flexibility. What do you like to do with that free time that you get? So I have many talents. Um, so one of the things that I like to do is I actually like to write poetry or songs. Um, I'm a songwriter and I like to spend time like singing and playing my guitar when I am just like, when I'm unplugged, this actually this Christmas, I did something kind of crazy and I left my phone at home turned off and I was with my entire family. So, you know, it wasn't like I was worried about any emergencies happening and people that needed to know how to get a hold of me yep. had that ability too. Yep. And I completely like unplugged 100% from technology for three entire days. And I was kind of anxious at first. Um, it was really hard for me to be able to like not have that, you know, I got to check my email or I got to check my phone or I've got to send a text or I've got to respond or something. Um, so it really just allowed me to slow down. And I was able to like notice things that I wouldn't necessarily notice. Like I watched the, the snow literally falling, these big, huge flakes from the sky and onto the lake. And I was able to smell like firewood and like just really kind of get all these details in. And honestly, like I, I, I also am a videographer. So I was just thinking of all these movie storylines in my head. And it just gave me this freedom to just kind of float on these clouds wow. of thoughts. And it was kind of like euphoric in a way. And I was able to, you know, spend that time engaging with my family and listening to my husband play the guitar and just like basking in this, you know, this just state of just complete relaxation. Mm. 
of, you know, just being free. And it, it was, it was amazing. And I'm going to do it. I'm going to schedule that quarterly for myself. <laughs> you know, that's really interesting to <laughs> say that. that. Yeah, that, that is really, really good. I, I was just having a, a similar conversation with somebody about how this year, and actually maybe multiple people now, um, this year I'm going to, I mean, it's a bit ironic, honestly, that, that as much as we focus our attention on this podcast and, and ultimately the Photographer's Edit brand is about creating freedom and flexibility. The last year in particular, year or so, uh, maybe a little bit less, has been very busy for me. And it's just been go, go, go. And it's not that I don't have any time off or that I don't take any time off. You know, I'll spend time with my kids or I'll spend time with my girlfriend or, or I'll get out and, and ride my motorcycle and um, this kind of thing. But it's not quite the amount of, of time off or the, the freedom, the flexibility that I'd like to consistently live out. And so I just had the opportunity to spend Christmas, the, the week of Christmas, uh, or part of the week of Christmas, rather, in the Dominican Republic, on this island off of the Dominican Republic. And it was a good reminder for me of the importance of not only getting away and disconnecting, but also the importance of doing that more consistently, just for the sake of and I hesitate to use this phrase because I think it's overused and maybe misconstrued, but mental health and more, more specifically peace and clarity of mind and relaxation. You mentioned the anxiety that you felt when you set aside the technology and much, if not all of that anxiety for, for all of us, it, when we're disconnected from our phone or some means of connecting with somebody electronically is just, it's a habit, right? We form this habit, which is yeah. quickly jumping to our phone for the sake of, well, just for one reason or another, but it's a habit. We're so used to it. So when that goes away, that, that habit, it's disconcerting to us. The idea that we no longer have to, to rely on, on our phone for everything, um, even a lot of the time, I think it'd be wonderfully healthy for all of us mentally, emotionally. And um, I love that you're prioritizing that. In fact, one way that I've begun to do this even just recently, personally at home, is that I, I've, I'm plugging my phone in. My, my kids, I ask my kids to plug their, phone in, their phones in in the kitchen in the evening so they don't have them in their rooms. I'm doing the same thing with them now. And instead, I have this little Google Home Mini that I can talk to if I need to and, and um, ask to set an alarm. I'll ask it to set an alarm with a particular artist. Uh, music to, to wake me up in the morning. So I don't need my phone to wake me up. The phone's not nearby, so I'm not grabbing it automatically to scroll through before I go to bed um, or doing the same thing right when I wake up. There's this tendency that we have, you know, we sleep with our phones right next to our beds and we we go to them first thing. And I think it's just, again, an un- unhealthy tendency. And that has actually, it's technology, but it's this very unintrusive uh, technology that I can engage with if I need to but it doesn't require me looking at a screen and it can do pretty much anything that I need it to. If, you know, again, setting an alarm or finding out what's on my calendar for the day, but I don't have to actually pick up the phone. And I really love this now because yeah. I don't require that, that visual interaction. And with this, this electronic device in my hand, I can think a little bit more freely. And uh, I think it's good for us to develop those types of habits. I love the way that you're, that you're prioritizing that. And by the way, you and your husband playing guitar together sounds incredibly romantic too. It is. And, you know, we're st- it's still on our dream board to someday move to Nashville and become, you know, st- songwriters for some of these artists. So it's still on the map. But, you know, right now we're we're here with our family and close by. We've got a small family and yeah. we're young and there's plenty of time. Like I told my husband, there's no rush. Like, let's just do what we can now and use it for our, our creative free time to spend together. So yeah, I love it. It's fun. <laughs> Good for you. Well, and maybe we've, we've kind of touched on this idea already, but a question that I've been re- recently asking our guests 
is about how they've learned to be more centered, more present, more focused in their day-to-day lives. Is there a particular way that you do that? Is, is it journaling? Is it playing music or is there something else? For me, really, it, it really is putting away my phone. I feel like I really have to do that in order to be present. And when I do that, I'm able to, you know, have the freedom to actually interact without and look my, you know, kids and my husband in the eyes yes. and not kind of be like answering those questions, you know, when we're riding in the car even, or really, really, really it is for me is putting away my phone because my phone is where I do, you know, all of my work. Um, I do a lot of engaging with social media and I do a lot of responding, you know, through social media and emails. And so my, the second that there's a quiet moment, I kind of, like you were saying before, like I do get this anxious feeling like I'm not doing something, I'm not being productive. Um, and I need to be able, you know, this year I'm really, my, my focus is really on falling down and being okay with silence. Because that's something like even if it's silence visually or silence, you know, actually silence, like hearing nothing. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I have to really, really do that because I find that when I do that, the conversations I'm actually really listening and I'm not like I'm a woman and I do a lot of multitasking. Like I can hear conversations as I'm listening to a podcast and doing the dishes. But I feel like I really miss some things, yep. maybe body language wise that my kids might be saying something to me and I'm able to pick up on, you know, they might be telling me a story and I can tell that it's making them uncomfortable just by, you know, the way that they're moving their body or the way that their eyes maybe look a little bit sad when they got off the bus today. Um, Something that I wouldn't be paying attention to if I wasn't visually looking at them. Um, So yeah, for me, I feel my phone is the greatest tool I have and it's also my worst enemy. <laughs> no, this is, but I, I love that you're continuing this theme though. And, you know, I actually had, it's interesting, you were talking about the idea of sitting in silence. And I know that that's an uncomfortable idea for a lot of people. Uh, but it, it does, it, first of all, my encouragement to those listening in would be find out why that's uncomfortable. Because it's not, it's, it's actually a very natural thing. We've, again, just like our phones, we've gotten used to behaving in a particular way, which is filling that silence with music in the background, with a podcast in the background, with Netflix in the background. And we, we feel like we, quote, need that. But it's a learned behavior. So the question is why? And it might be a healthy thing for everyone listening. In. I mean, this is something, it's a good question for all of us to ask. Why is it that I'm uncomfortable with that silence? What is it that I'm trying to avoid being in the quiet away from and maybe go address those issues because uh, just from a a self-awareness standpoint, a psychological health standpoint, it's really important to understand where that might be coming from. But, you know, there was, I was actually just having a conversation with my daughter about meditation and uh, I was asking Mm -hmm. her about whether or not she had tried that. And and we got into a conversation that is a reflection of of a conversation or conversations we've had here on the podcast before. Actually, I I brought up uh, Michael Singer Uh, his book, The Untethered Soul. It's just, I cannot, I know I talk about it a lot. Some of our regular listeners are probably like, man, he's talking about it again. But from (laughs) from a mental and psychological, emotional health standpoint, this book has got to be one of the most impactful, certainly that I've read. And I, and I would, it would be in the top three books that I would hand to somebody if I had the opportunity to give them a gift. Um, In fact, Mary, have you read this book before? 
I have not. And I'm actually, I'm writing it down as you're telling me. Well, what I'm going to um, do is send wanna... you, yeah, we'll actually send you a copy of this so that you can, that you can read it. Cause it really is what? so beautifully uh, impactful on multiple levels. And it was funny. I was just chatting with somebody the other day. They, they were listening to it on audio and they said, you know, actually I am listening to this on audio and, and I'm, I, I, I don't know if it's going to get better. Um, she was kind of frustrated with, with the experience thus far. And I said, no, I totally get what you mean. The first, I don't know, maybe three or four chapters or so, he goes on this kind of um, rant, if you will, about this particular issue of the voice inside our head. And he keeps repeating himself. And you're like, what in the world? He, just, he, he goes on, like, move on already. Get to the next thing. And then suddenly it clicks. And you're like, oh, 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 I get it. I get it. I get it. But I think, you know, this idea that, that we give so much significance to that voice inside our head um, is part of the reason that... that Probably some people are uncomfortable being in the quiet, number one. They're, that voice is going a million miles a minute the moment that there is silence. Part of that, though, too, I think, is the way that our brain tends to process. I mean, sleep at night is one of the ways that our brain organizes and processes what's inside our mind. And meditation is an opportunity to do something at least comparable to that. So we sit down. What I've found when I meditate is sitting down in the quiet, closing my eyes. Thoughts do rush to my head. But it actually feels good in the sense that um, my mind is acknowledging them versus just taking in on this, all this noise constantly without any real organization, kind of like I was talking about earlier with consuming content but not really actually doing anything with it. Sitting in the quiet, meditating, yeah. or even just sitting in the quiet period and, and kind of letting thoughts run through your mind gives you an opportunity to be able to organize and then ideally to sit at peace with them. And of course, the thing that I've talked about here on the podcast before that Michael talks about in his book is... He suggests instead of trying not to think about anything, which is quite futile, our, our mind will then tend to think about things. You let those thoughts flow. You see them in. You acknowledge them, and then you see them out. And I, I will literally picture that in my mind: this idea that like the thought is coming into my mind, and then I'm seeing it out, almost seeing it out the door, that kind of thing. And it is so incredibly yeah. therapeutic. It helps your mind process and organize, and hopefully, ultimately, sit at peace. And it's really important to be able to learn how to do that. So setting our phone aside is, is a, an incredible first step. Again, ask the question, for those of you listening, and ask the question, why is it that I have such a hard time not existing with that thing? Explore that, deal with those issues, but then learn how to sit in the quiet too. And I cannot recommend this book enough, Untethered Soul. We'll make sure to link to it in the, in the show notes, um, as well as the Getting Things Done book that I mentioned earlier by David Allen. But yeah, Mary, I'm going to send you, we're going to send you a copy um, so that you can get into that. I think you're going to love it. Uh, well, that is really sweet. And I I love that you're gifting me that. I'm excited to read it and give feedback too and and like share my thoughts on it as well. well so I'm excited. Thank you so much. Oh, 100%. And as much as we've already talked about this book and then related topics, I, we may have to just have you on the, sh on the show another time if you're willing to. And we'll talk about that <laughs> book and these related principles and actually have focus specifically on these topics for another episode because I think it would be really beneficial. Yeah. For those listening and speaking of books though um what is one of the most impactful books that you've read one of the most impactful books i've ever i said books and not books because <laughs> i can't <laughs> even speak no <laughs> but honestly one of the most impactful books i've ever read is called captivate by vanessa van edwards okay and captivate vanessa van edwards is a, a body language specialist and so she talks about you know everything from, you know, how to get a date and how to, you know, speak with your body type of stuff to how to work a room for an event for networking, places that you should go to and places that you should avoid. Um, she talks about expression. And as a photographer, 
something that I feel like is really hard to do is to be able to get your client's expression um, to really come forth in a photograph. And so that's the number one reason I picked it up was like, I need to know when somebody's genuinely smiling and when they're not, and to be able to tell that um, with the, because some of these people, we don't know they're complete strangers. And so we don't know if that smile is necessarily sincere yeah. or if they're just uncomfortably smiling. Um, so that was the reason I picked up the book, but then I found out she had all this, these golden nuggets throughout the entire thing about how I can actually mimic my client's uh, body language during a consultation and how that exudes, you know, being comfortable and how important it is in a photograph for your hands to be seen because subconsciously it gives the person viewing it a sign of trust because they know where your hands are, even in a headshot. And I'm like, oh my goodness, like there are so many things um, and tools in here that I have been able to, in, you know, implement into my business from the client's experience all the way to the photographs that I produce. And then for myself, being able to get myself out there in a networking event and know areas that I should be avoiding and how to put place myself in areas that are really hot spots for me to be able to talk to, you know, potential, you know, business networking opportunities or mm. just potential clients. So that has been an incredible book and she's got tons of cool videos on YouTube too, talking about all of these expressions and all these different, you know, topics that she goes through in the book. And like, that's an incredible book to read it sounds, or listen to. It sounds really, really good actually. So Captivate it's called, and we'll make sure to link to that in the show notes as well. By the way, for those of you listening in, I know that I've been saying this quite a bit lately, but if you go to Boca, B-O-K-E-H, podcast.com, Haley, who helps produce this podcast, um, it is she does just a wonderful job of putting together show notes from each episode. So enjoy the audio, but also check out the show notes because there are links, resources from each episode there at bocapodcast.com. You can check it out. Of course, we link to various podcast players. You can even listen to a podcast within that that site at bocapodcast.com. So check that out for sure. We'll link to this book in the show notes. It sounds wonderful. You know, the significance of empathy is that that very significance is something that I've learned more and more about over the last, I'd say, five years, six years or so. Um, and it's something that I'm still working at, too, because I think there's an interesting balance. Some of us it, um, tend to be so empathetic that we play into the other person to the extent that maybe our individuality gets lost in the process. I mean, this can happen in relationships. It can potentially happen, I guess, with acquaintances as well. But there is something to be said for learning to read an individual and helping them feel comfortable by being an empath, being empathetic, truly empathetic. And it sounds like this book touches on that idea. So definitely check it out. We'll link to that in the show notes. Captivate. Let's let's get to photography. And by the way, I've got your Instagram pulled up right now. For those of you listening in, Instagram.com slash Mary. Brewer, Mary, I'm, I'm pronouncing your last name correctly, yes? Um, no. You're pronouncing it the way that it sounds. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's no. Okay. I'm so sorry. Okay. It's okay. It, no, it's really okay. It's really okay. Um, I get it all the time. And if you want to be like correct correct about it, it's Breuer, which rhymes with lawyer. So that's what I tell people to kind of like put it like Breuer rhymes with lawyer. So Mary Breuer photos is my Instagram handle. Okay, awesome. Well, and I, I alluded to this to you before we got started, but this is this is a raw opportunity for me to get to know you. And I'm doing just that. I'm learning how to pronounce your last name. I'm so sorry for messing that up yeah. in the beginning, but Breuer. Okay. So uh, for those of you listening at Instagram.com slash Mary Breuer photos, and that's Mary, just like it sounds, and then B-R-E-U-E-R 
photos. And of course, we'll link to that in the show notes as well. Make sure you check out Mary's Instagram feed. It's, it's a really interesting, interesting one, Mary. And, you know, I was thinking before I, we even jumped on the call, as I was scrolling through, it, it's first, first of all, it's, it's studio photography and beautiful yeah. kind of iconic studio photography at that. And it's not something that we see at, as much anymore. You know, most people are so-called lifestyle or natural light photographers. Mm-hmm. And, and so this actually stands out in contrast to that type of photography, which is refreshing. Um, how did you even yeah. pick this genre? And I know I'm kind of jumping ahead, but let's go ahead and talk about brand position because you say in your Instagram profile, you're a woman's photographer. And, <laughs> and I'm just seeing through your photography that you're a studio photographer. So you photograph women in the studio, mm-hmm. but how did you choose this brand position and where did you get your inspiration? Yeah. So I chose it, you know, I started off and I, I think, I feel like I need to kind of give it a bit of a backstory to yeah. kind of tell how I got to this point. So I started much like a lot of um, other photographers and especially women photographers, which is I want to take nice pictures of my family um, and, and my kids without having to drop, you know, tons and tons of money into in photographers. And I laugh about that now because I, it doesn't matter. I've dropped thousands of dollars into other photographers to take pictures of my family. That's awesome. Um, so it's just so funny that I say that. But uh, yeah, that's how it all kind of began about five to six years ago. I, I just begged and pleaded for my husband to buy me a DSLR camera. I didn't care the make, the model, or anything. I just wanted to learn how to use it to be able to take photos of my kids. And then once I got it, I became obsessed, like fascinated to the point where I was getting frustrated with not being able to looking, you know, looking at other photographers' work and not being able to produce the same outcome. And that frustration is really what led me to, you know, diving into YouTube videos of like, how do I operate my camera in manual mode? Or how do I make my images look this way? Or how do I get the images to have a blurry background and the subject stand out? And so I just really dove in hardcore and just started asking people to let me take their pictures so I could practice. And then I, I'm a person that jumps off the cliff and builds a parachute on the way down. Yes. So I was like, yeah, I'll just, uh, I'll just make it a business and I love this would it. be so easy. And, uh, I found out and it took me a few years of a lot of failing, a lot of failing, wasting sure. a lot of money and a lot of time. And it brought me to a place two years ago where I was sitting in my closet, touching my knees, rocking back and forth in a panic anxiety attack. Because uh, I was at a crossroads, and I was really on the verge of selling everything. I was going to sell all my equipment that I had. I ha- didn't have a studio at this point. I was doing everything, you know, on site or on location, and I was not making any money. I was so unhappy with my job at the hospital. Uh, I was a respiratory therapist for ten years and ran life support in the neonatal intensive care unit. Wow! And the long hours and the staying up all night long and not being able to have control over my schedule. I was just in this mixture of emotions and my closet and just weeping. And I was thinking to myself, why is this not working? I don't understand why it's not working. Mm. I am doing everything that, you know, everybody else is doing. And then I sat there and I thought, you know what? I haven't actually put any money into having somebody teach me anything beyond mm. what you can get for free from everywhere. You, you know, you can get a lot of free information, but it's only like bits and pieces. I wanted somebody to tell me like from start to finish, how in the world do I do this and actually like profit from it um, and make money. 
So I started to just kind of play with that idea. And then I made that decision before I left my closet that before I sold everything, I was going to give it one last try and hire somebody to mentor me. And I was going to figure it out. And if it still didn't work after that, then I would sell everything and just stick to my respiratory therapy job and just leave it be. <laughs> wow. So that's what I did. So I started researching and the person that I found was Sue Bright. And I found her two years ago and everything that she said clicked. Her skill level, her brand. I just was so drawn to this experience of having everything planned out, even as like a, from a client perspective of having like a team of people just dote over me and give me back a little part, you know, parts of myself as a woman and then adding my family into the experience if I wanted to, or just making it about me because I never really thought about me. And so I was really drawn to her brand, to everything she was teaching as an educator. And I just, literally like I kind of like went into the deep state <laughs> and uh, I went found a studio started like I just like my husband thought I was nuts <laughs> my whole family yeah. my whole family was like you're insane no one will ever pay you that no one hmm. no one will ever pay you that we live in Green Bay Wisconsin not New York no one will ever pay you that and I was like you maybe you're right but maybe you're wrong so I'm going to, I have to try it and fail in order to figure it out. So I kind of went against the grain, against my family, against my own husband, um, you know, and when he told me, I don't think this is a good idea. And it was really, really hard because I was so alone. Wow. <laughs> I was so alone. Yeah. So alone. Um, and it was terrifying. But uh, I found a way. I found a makeup artist that was willing to help me build my portfolio because I knew at the time that if I wanted to be able to charge the rates that I do, that I did need to get better at my craft. I had to get better. I had to get better at directing people. I had to get, I had to learn body types like the back of my hand for women to be able to really prove to them that I could flatter them and make them look incredible in front of my camera. Um, I'm a curvier woman myself and more full figure plus size. 16, 18, and it's really hard for women who are in that category of, you know, plus size. That's a, that's a nice way to say it, <laughs> or curvy. <laughs> um, you know, but we, we, we do. We're, we, we have a really hard time being in front of the camera when nobody's telling us, you know, what to do exactly, you know, to push our chins forward, to not make our arms look too fast, and all of these things that kind of come into play, but nobody really talks about it. They're just like, Oh no, not me. I just, I don't, I'm not photogenic. Hmm. And really what they're thinking is I'm afraid you're going to make me look fat is what they're, they're thinking in their head. And so I was able to kind of really kind of hone in on that, those things. And like, how do I tell, how do I reassure women that that's not going to happen? And I need to prove it. So that's exactly what I just did. I just went for it, hired a makeup artist. She actually wasn't a makeup artist at the time. And I like to tell the story now before I would, I would tell her, don't tell people where you came from because I was kind of <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, thought like her credentials weren't, you know, the standard of luxury that I was perhaps like looking for. Um, but now I like to be transparent about it because I feel like I got, I kind of got over that whole thing. And I think it's really fascinating. She took care of my mom is an assisted living and she was a woman who worked there with my mom as a CNA and took care of my mother. And she, every time I would go to pick my mom up, 
Angela, my makeup artist, would have her hair done and her makeup done, and she'd have be dressed really nice. And wow. She just had this compassion about her, and I was like, that's who I want yeah. to take care of my clients. And I said, how would you feel? And I told her this crazy idea, you know, when everybody was going against me. And I said, how would you feel? I can't pay you because I have no money, but I can help you build a portfolio. And like, you could become a professional hair and makeup artist and like, just kind of just jump on this train and, and see where it goes. And I was like, but you have to know that I can't promise anything. But what I can promise you is that we're going to try and we're going to try and we're going to try really hard. And I'm not going to like quit until I know that I've given it 110%. And she was like, okay, I'll do it. (laughs) Wow. So for the first, for the first three months, we just took in clients for free. And I said, I, there's, you, you get this many images. If you want to buy more, you can, you don't have to. I'm just looking to build my portfolio and have some practice. And so that's what we did. And I ended up making a few sales from that, which felt really good and kind of gave me the boost of encouragement. I had some people take their their complimentary images and leave. And that was fine too, because I was really working a lot on myself about serving versus trying to get something out of it. You know, if they don't spend money with you, is it really a loss? No, because now you have something for your portfolio and you've got the experience and the practice underneath your belt. You're investing in it the same way that somebody who spends thousands of dollars to get a bachelor's degree spends time and money into the same exact thing. So you have to get that out of your head that somehow you're being taken advantage of. You know, these people are giving you your time, their time and their, and their bodies to use and to be blasted throughout the internet. Um, so they are giving you something and it is an equal exchange. So I had to do a ton of self work to get to that, to that point that where I am today. And now I feel like this is finally my identity. And what I love about it is that, you know, like we were talking earlier about how Green Bay is kind of like this country scene. And there are, I mean, you'll trip over a photographer if you walk outside. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of people in this industry here that yeah. are very lifestyle. And I am one of the few studios um, that are in the area that work, you know, with the type of luxury magazine style team and the only photographer as of now that's a hybrid photographer and offers family videography along with each session. So that's something that's very, very unique. That's really, really cool. Well, I, first of all, kudos to you for coming up with a, a position, a brand position that's actually unique. It's something different than the typical photographer in your market. And this is something we talk about all the time on the podcast, but I think a lot of photographers, they lose sight of that and, and it tends to, you know, the focus goes inward and they don't realize that doing largely the same thing as everybody else around them is not doing them a favor when it comes to marketing and ultimately getting business. So I love that you found a unique brand position, but even more importantly, you found a brand position that's a reflection of, of who you want to be as an individual. And the focus is on service, mm-hmm. which is something that, again, we can't talk enough about. I mean, photographers yeah. many times can be very self-centered and it's about their, quote, art and and getting their art out to the world. And you know, you hear these kinds of things. And while that has some significance, certainly at the end of the day, we're engaging with other people. And, and I mean, I, I'm saying this out loud, but it's honestly a reminder for me to the, the importance of making sure that consistently we are serving others. We are taking care of others. And as a result, I mean, it's a cliche phrase, but it, it, the reality is if we do this consistently, we are leaving the world a better place. 
I, I know how significant an experience it is even just to get a smile from somebody, you know, when I'm at the grocery store or something, much less yeah. or much more in this case, going and having a, a photo session where the photographer is focused on, on creating an exper- experience for me, which is that I am being pampered and that I'm being taken care of. And you're, you're offering this to the women that come to your studio. I think it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And again, for those of you listening in, make sure that you check out um, Mary's Instagram. It's Mary, and, and pronounce it again for me, Mary. I want to make, let's make sure we get it right here. Broyer? Yeah, no, it's Broyer. Broyer. Okay, so Mary, M-A-R-Y-B-R-E-U-E-R photos. And uh, of course, we'll also link to your website, which is marybroyerphotos.com. And uh, for those of you listening yeah. in, make sure you go check out her work. Speaking of something maybe a little bit less, uh, well, I guess I guess just as serious, really, talk to us about a piece of advice. Like literally, if you had fifteen seconds to give advice, like you're on, you're you're in the elevator and you see a fellow photographer, and somebody said you must give them advice in the next fifteen seconds. What would be that piece of advice? Maybe something that you've learned from your photography career so far. Maybe just from life. What would that piece of advice be? That piece of advice would be to find a mentor, find somebody that you're inspired by Mm. and don't be afraid to reach out to them and say, Hey, I'm inspired by you. And I would love if we could just grab a cup of coffee and, and just talk and, and don't be afraid to, because I feel like, and I know this is past the 15 seconds, but that would be what I would say to them in the elevator. Um, and and I'm going to just tell you why I would say that. And that's because I wish somebody would have just told me that. I wish, you know, like there were so many times, like I felt kind of like, you know, things were kind of clicky. I moved from Madison to Green Bay in the last, in this time frame. I forgot to mention that earlier in the story, but I was trying to, you know, get to the point um, for people. But I moved, I started my photography business in Madison, moved to Green Bay, which was a culture shock in itself, even though it's in the same state, it's very, very different up here than it is in Madison. And I was really struggling with, you know, making new friends having to make new clients and everything together. And I just, it, w- it would have been really nice to have the ability to meet another photographer and have them, you know, reach out and say, Hey, I'd love to, you know, get to know you a little bit more. So maybe if you're a new photographer, not being afraid to ask somebody that is inspiring to you in your area that you could actually physically meet with or somebody that's across the country because you scared to meet with somebody in person, then maybe find somebody across the country that you could, you know, schedule a phone call with and just say, can I pick your brain? Can you just kind of, I'm, I'm new at this and I, I would really just love your insight. People love to talk and give their insight and their story. Um, so I feel like that's a great step. And if you're a seasoned photographer and somebody reaches out to you, like give them that time of day, give them that time of day to just feel like this is a couple of things that you can do to get it started and, and serve them in that way so they don't feel isolated and alone. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's something to be said for kind of doing what you were describing early, earlier, Mary, which is, you know, jumping and building your wings on the way down. I love the excitement of that experience. But at the same time, there have been thousands and thousands of photographers that have gone before us that have the experience that can share what they've learned and help us along the way. And so being able to, to engage with somebody like that, fortunately our industry has shifted in the last, you know, whatever it is now, 15 years or so, 10 to 15 years in the direction of being more open and sharing and helpful. And there's a wonderful, wonderful community of photographers out there who would do just that for you. So I think finding a mentor is, is great advice. And, um, and then for, for those of you who've been in the industry who have the opportunity to help somebody 
for the sake of service, like we were talking about earlier, I think that's really important too. So this is really, really great advice. Thanks for sharing that. To a little bit lighter note, what's in your gear bag? What's a favorite piece of uh, gear in your gear bag at the moment? So I kind of shoot untraditionally, um, and I and it's because I, like I said, I was telling you guys earlier, I'm a woman's photographer, and I do shoot a lot of women who are plus size. And one of my little tricks in my favorite lens is actually my Tamron 35mm 1.8, and I shoot on a Nikon D610. Um, that's my favorite lens to use because I actually love the distortion that it gives a little bit for somebody to kind of give them a little bit. And, and honestly, I feel like it, it's more of like the iPhone effect. I don't know if you guys have ever taken a photo of yourself on an iPhone, and actually a lot of our clients do. And then when you shoot them on like, let's say a 50 millimeter or an 85, and unless you're shooting from above or you have an angle, um, it actually expands people more who are larger. And so then they actually feel more insecure when they look at the back of your camera. So I love shooting on my 35 portraiture for, for anybody who's, you know, basically if they're my size or, or if they're bigger than my size, then I actually like to shoot them on a 35. And that's just a little trick that I tell other photographers too when they have a career person coming into the studio or coming in for life size. I'm like, hey, shoot them on a 35, you know, so that way they have that little slimming effect for the, for the camera. And all of the ladies love it. They were like, your lens is so magical. And I'm like, Oh, thank you very much. It's actually me, but the lens does help. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I love the practicality of that. Most of our guests have shared, you know, gear that they're that they're stoked about just for the fun of it. But um, I love the practicality of that too, and that's great. That's a great tip for everybody listening in. So, thank you for sharing that. And and let's actually move to. I mean, we've covered multiple topics today that could be episodes in and of themselves. But the thing that that uh, I want to chat with you about today specifically is to do with or has to do with pricing. It's interesting. Yes. I mean, you, you alluded to pricing earlier as you were getting your photography business off the ground. So I, I know that you've learned a lot through that experience, but we're going to be talking specifically about pricing yourself for the sake of success or more specifically to, to thrive. It, because it's one thing to have a photography business. That's exciting in and of itself. And we're getting to do the thing that we love as, as photographers or as artists or as entrepreneurs. That's great. But at the yeah. end of the day, that we, we want to actually be able to be more than that that stereotypical starving artist, right? We want to actually be able to thrive. To and and so what I I'd love for you to do first of all, maybe is just to kind of share your experience with pricing yourself. What's that look like? And maybe kind of expound on why you think this is a kind of a frustration for photographers in our industry. Yeah. Well, I feel like let me just start. Let me just tackle the frustration. Yeah. The frustration part of it, I feel, comes from honestly, it does come from comparison because when we when we don't have a mentor, when we don't have somebody who's telling us how to do this, because you know, I didn't go to business school, so I never learned all of these things. Like I just I went from it from the other angle, and then was trying to ask people, you know, how to get in. So the frustration comes in when you're looking at other photographers work in our price list. I feel like we just kind of naturally, when we're first getting started out, we just naturally go to people that we are inspired by, look at what they're charging and then be like, okay, yeah, we can, we can uh, get something similar to that. But I think, you know, kind of backing up from what I usually, you know, did was, which was jumping and building the parachute is making sure you have an anchor first to catch you, you know, to, to hold you before you jump. Um, and that is taking that time out to really think about how much time and effort you're going to be putting in, you know, moving a client from the start of your workflow all the way until you deliver 
tangibles if you do, or whether that's digital or whether that's something printed or both. And really sitting down and figuring out how much time you're actually going to be spending with the client, you know, from start to finish. And then all the other things that you're going to have to do, you know, throughout it. And really kind of actually mapping out that time. That'll help save you some frustration because if you're just going to slap a price without thinking about it, you're going to end up just in this vicious cycle of being ungrateful when somebody does pay you what you actually asked for, but then you're turning around and looking at your bank account and it's not enough. And you, that was just enough to pay rent. And that wasn't enough to, to actually buy groceries for your house. So my frustration started, you know, there. And then when I did get a mentor, I was able to see that. She was able to tell me, you, you really need to think about these things and stop comparing yourself to what other people are charging because these are the industry standards. And she was able to tell me, these are the industry standards. So your pricing should not be anything less, you know, based on this niche of photography that I do, your pricing should not be anything less than this because you're never going to be able to make it if you're pricing yourself that way. So having information is, is huge. And, you know, pay for that information and get that information so you're not frustrated. Because once I had that piece, that missing puzzle piece, it all made sense to me as how this photographer was able to charge $800 for an album or this photographer was able to charge $3,000 for this. It all made sense because then I kind of knew, oh, well, they're having, they're, they're obviously doing a lot of stuff in between. It's not that people are just handing them $3,000. There's a lot of things that happen between the time that they book and the time that they deliver where they are coming up with that price. So save yourself the frustration for sure and, and get, get somebody to sit down with you and kind of talk to you about these things. And another photographer is a great person to start with because somebody, you know, looking at their price structure and, and, and everything online, if they show it to you or just having the ability to be like, hey, how did you come up with your pricing? Um, what goes into this? if you're just getting started. Otherwise, if you're already started, start looking at your workflows and thinking about how much time you're actually investing yeah, this to, is, uh, into it. Yeah, no, this is, this is good. I mean, it, it's perspective, right? And perspective, you can get so much perspective from actual information versus simply just kind of randomly throwing some numbers down because you heard that so-and-so down the street is charging this amount. And that's kind of a haphazard way to go about it. I mean, I, I, and I say this having done something similar myself when I got started. Uh, and I know yeah. that the first wedding that I ever photographed, I, I shot for, I think it was $350. And it was $250 just to get the, the film process from that wedding because I started in the film days. And, and naturally, I, I you know, lost money on it. But I, I guess when you're starting a business, if you don't have the appropriate information and you don't really have, we talk a lot about this idea of kind of a bigger picture view that's driving, first of all, why you're starting a business in the first place and then the business model that you're starting. And then you mentioned something else interesting. I mean, the, the business model drives or can drive how much money you're making, but then considering how much time you want to spend making that money, there are very practical elements to consider when it comes to creating a pricing structure and, and certainly information is important, being aware of what the market's charging, but ultimately understanding what it is that you need to make and want to make is an important element as well. But you can't just randomly, randomly decide that either. You have to have a structure around which to make those decisions. We've talked about that in the podcast before 
Um, but you mentioned information, and I wanted to get back to this. There's a resource. In fact, I was just yeah. telling a photographer about this just recently, and they were amazed by the information. But for those wedding photographers, I'm not sure. Maybe, Mary, you can refer, uh, refer us to a particular resource for portrait photographers. Wedding photographers, if you go to the weddingreport.com, there is a wealth of information, data there about money associated with weddings. And an element of that, of course, is photography. And it's it's fascinating. I mean, the most, uh, for, I know for 2017, and I'm, I'm going to assume that it's very comparable in 2018. I don't think I've seen those numbers yet. But 2017, about uh, between 75 and 80% of weddings photographed in the US were shot for under two grand or two grand and under. The next 15 mm-hmm. to 20% or so for about two to four grand. And then, and then, you know, above that, you're talking about the, the top five to 10%. And so you have all these photographers clamming for that, that 15, 20, maybe 30% uh, or 25% of the weddings that are out there. There's this massive, massive market on the low end side. And, you know, there's a lot of, photo- yeah. a lot of conversation around going after the so-called high end bride, while the majority of the existing business out there is actually on the low end yeah. side. And, and that, while it's not sexy, it's not appealing, that's just simple reality driven by data. And it's that kind of data that we yeah. should be making intelligent decisions on uh, or based on when we go to develop a business model. There is everything to be said for what we want, what we're looking for, what our personal life mission and goals and values are. Those things should drive both the business model and then ultimately how we price ourselves as well. But data is so, so important. We're business owners and we need to make sure that we put a priority there. So I'm glad that you that you brought that up. But let's just get down to nitty gritty. Let's talk about the practical ideas that photographers should consider when they establish their pricing for the business that will enable them to to not only just kind of scrape by, um, but actually do well, make make a living and a comfortable one at that. Yeah. Well, Nate, I would love to share my little formula that I tell all photographers when they're first getting started. Um, and actually, all it could apply to any business, honestly. But you actually have to sit down. And I, if it's all right if, with you, if I jump into those three points, yeah, because I feel like this is a great segue into it. Okay. The very first thing you need to figure out is what do you actually need to survive? And I'm talking about not just for your business, but for your home. Like, are you, for me, um, I was able to do a little bit less because I do have a second person contributing to my income at the house, at my home. So when I was first getting started, I took into consideration of, you know, how much was I bringing in at my other job? You know, and was it enough? And listed all of my expenses for my house and all of my expenses for my business just to make sure that I would be able to make ends meet and feed myself that is included with it. Make sure you're everything you need to survive and live. And then the next thing is really kind of taking that number. So maybe I'm just going to say $1,000. Let's say, and that's really low, but I just use it for the sake of, sure. of getting the point across. Yeah. The next step is to, to actually price yourself accordingly. So taking that, let's say maybe it's $1,000 that you need to replace and bring in. Take that and times it by 70%. Times it by 70%. So that would be $700. That should be where my packaging should start. Like that's my bottom package should start at $700. Um, and it can be whatever I want it to be. You know, you can have prints, you can have products. But $700 is where I need to start um, because that means that I would have to be able to, you know, and then figuring out how much if I have $1,000, you know, the, considering taxes, considering business expenses. And to make it really easy, you can just divide that number by three, you know, like 
a third of it goes to you if you're just getting started. There's a lot more that goes into this, but I'm just saying to give you some just basic, really quick, you know, starting information, divide that number, that 700 divided by three would be $233, right? So that means out of $233, that's what you would bring home. That's what you could pay yourself and the rest of it would go to taxes and business, you guys. Like this is huge. That was huge for me to realize that I, if I charge $700, I can't just take $700 home. Like it didn't make any sense, you know? So then when you really think about it you're like, Oh geez, you know, I have to, I would have to sell then three packages at my bottom level a month in order to make a thousand dollars. So that, but that, but that's huge information because a, that means you, maybe you don't have to focus on booking clock, like quantity. Like you don't have to have 10 sessions and run around like a chicken with your head cut off. That means I could focus on three clients, making the service much better and really spending time with them to get them to spend more money with me then because I'm adding more service and more time with them um, to really kind of create an experience then. And then I'm not running around and having to take care of multiple, multiple clients a month. And I can focus on, let's say those three clients that month and focus on how can I add more service and value to my package? Like maybe initially this was a, a boudoir client, a mom who was like, I want to do something special for my husband. And I'll say, Oh my gosh, that's so great. Well, since we're thinking about that and you're going to have your hair and makeup done, why not add your family at the end of it? They'll have no idea all of the fun stuff we've had done before and give them more time to be able to capture even more like their family or somebody else to include in with their, with them to give it more value. And then it pushes them to the next level of your package. So the next package up because they're not going to be able to just do one or two images. They're going to have to do at least 10 because (laughs) they're adding more people in. So it's a really, really cool that you can like change your perspective of, okay, I need three people at my bottom package. And then my goal is going to be not only to get these three people at my bottom package, but how can I upsell them? How can I add more service? And it's not really an upsell, but how can I add more service? Because that would in trade to give you that upsell. So that's, that's how to figure out like that survival. That's how I did it. I literally just listed my expenses, times it by 70% and said, this is my bottom package. That's just really what I did. And, and raw reality. Now you're going to have to fine tune that as you go on, but if you're just kind of getting started in, in the industry, whether it's the wedding industry or whether it's portraiture, I really do feel at least if you need to have a number, <laughs> that's how you can quickly get a number, but list all of your expenses first. And if you're all on your own, maybe your expenses is $3,000 a month. Well, then that means your starting package should be nothing less than $2,100. And I'd like to give people raw numbers like that just so they can get an idea. So then the third thing then I wanted to share is once you've kind of got that, you know, survival thing down, like, okay, cool. Now I'm, I'm really making a profit here because you're pricing yourself to profit from the get-go and you're not playing catch-up. You're profiting already because you're paying yourself right away when you're doing this because you're finally, you know, you've got the, you're, you're figuring out what you need for your business and for yourself. So you're already profiting at that point and you're not playing this catch up game because you already know what you need. 
So you're pricing yourself accordingly to what you need for your family and for your household or for just you to survive. Right. Then the next step after you've established yourself, you, you know, maybe you've had some time to get some more education, fine tune your skills a little bit more, um, you know, and you're really kind of getting a good grasp on things, then it's time to reevaluate. And that's what I did. So the first year I priced myself to survive. So I wouldn't have to pay as I was working at my other job, I wouldn't have to pay for my business expenses anymore because that's what I was doing. I was making enough money to sometimes pay for my own business. And then sometimes I had to supplement and pay for it, like my website with my own money that I was making from the hospital. And I decided in 2017 that I was going to price myself to pay at least for my, my business expenses and then groceries for my house. That was my goal. Um, and mind you, because I have my husband who has a second income, we were able to, you know, make that happen. Not everybody has a second income, so you have to think about those things. And this year, this 2018, I said, that's it. Now, now is the time that I get everything that everybody else gets at any other job. I get vacation, I get a retirement, and I get to save money for a house and things that I want to buy. I deserve all of that. I'm my number one employee and I deserve to pay myself accordingly. So what I did is I figured out what all my expenses were again. And then I said, what vacation do I want to take? How much do I want to put for my retirement? Sat down with like a financial advisor to figure, you know, those numbers out. And then I reworked the formula. I reworked the formula and decided that I needed to make X amount of dollars in order to be able to thrive in my business. And in my own personal life. And, and it feels good because then you feel like it's an equal exchange. You're doing all the work and you're getting paid for it too. And it just gives you a feeling of not feeling scarce. So let's say a client, you know, you don't have to have this like dependency because I'm having a savings for my, my business now and I have a savings for my home now. So if somebody, if my books aren't 100% full, I'm not in this panicking state of desperation where I'm discounting myself and splashing myself because I'm just trying to make ends meet. I'm coasting. I am coasting because I'm sustainable. So that's what I want people to get to. Yeah, coasting. Uh, um, the other thing I, I'm thinking about when you say coasting because you've created a sustainable business is you've put those those systems in place. We talk about this quite a bit on the podcast, but implementing systems or structure that enable you to, um, you know, it, actually, there's a book called The E-Myth Revisited. We've also referred to this a number of times on the podcast before, and we'll link to it in the show notes. But in that book, that the idea of creating a, a business that is sustainable is discussed. And of course, one of the important elements of that is putting the systems in place that enable you, enable you to be able to do the same thing over and over again efficiently. So once yeah. you're, you're clear on what it takes to survive You've established a, a working business. You're beginning to develop a clientele. The revenue is coming in. Now, of course, you're in that process. You're going to have the opportunity to put the system, systems in place that enable you to effectively market, enable you to effectively serve each and every client through workflow. And, and, and now you're getting to a place, as you're talking about, where you can thrive, where the, the revenue coming in enables you not just simply to survive, to make ends meet, but ultimately to begin to set aside money for retirement, um, to save for various things that you may want or need, and also to take some time off, which is so, so important, as we talked about at the very beginning of the episode. But let me ask you a couple of questions here. First of all, you talked about yeah. the 70% formula. 
Um, just to play a little devil's yeah. advocate, if if somebody isn't going to charge, say, a thousand dollars per session, do you just do you adjust that percentage based on how many sessions they're going to shoot in order to get to that baseline? You know, that the amount of money that they need to generate each month to to pay their bills to meet their needs. So the seventy percent is based on is based. You know, hundred percent is the thirty percent is really just to be able to have like business expenses. You know, worked into everything already. So that's where the 70% comes, comes into mind. And this was just a, a little nugget that I was able to get from my mentor that she told us, like, you know, stop looking at everybody else. I need you to just focus in on what's going on in your household and not everybody else's household. So that way you're pricing yourself for you guys and what you need versus like my expenses and, and how I, and I have my things set up. So she gave the percentages because then it gives you the ability to have the fluctuation. Meaning if somebody has expenses that are $3,000 a month or they have expenses that are $1,000 a month, it's still a percentage wise, but you're not saying it's not a number. So you're not saying, well, you have to take at least 500 and then make it happen. So you're able to have that variable because it's a percentage and it's not like a set amount. So I, I wouldn't change the percentage at all just because your income, whether it's, or whether your expenses are at this amount or whether your expenses are at a different amount, the 70% is, is able to work with either one. And that's just to really give you a starting point and those things can be adjusted. So if that's too much or you feel like you don't have the services or maybe you feel like, well, my skill level might not be there. One trick that I can tell you then is maybe if you're just getting started and, you know, $700 maybe seems scary make that a goal to have and like where you want to be. And then what you could always do if you're portfolio building or kind of like still learning a new skill set is you could always say my packages will be $700 um, starting at 700. But while I'm building my portfolio, they're half off. So you could do something like that because then at least your clientele is kind of getting prepared for where you're going versus you always upping your price over and over and over again um, so that way you're able to at least set yourself up and know that you're going to get there. Does that make sense? Or am I just confusing you guys? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, help, help me understand just a little bit more of the percentages again, because you, you mentioned 30% yeah. for business expense. You also mentioned taxes earlier, but is that built into the 30%? Because I, I know as a, as in a self-employed individual business owner myself, I'm essentially planning on between 25 and 30% um, that I have to set aside from any revenue that I make. And that's just for taxes. That's not even for, for expenses. So are you, mm-hmm. is this figuring the taxes as well? How does that break the hundred percent down into chunks if you don't mind? Yeah. Yeah. So a hundred percent would mean that's how much you like, if let's say like my expenses were $3,000, right? Sure. My expenses were $3,000 a month that I had. Then I was saying before that, you know, the 70% of that would be for my business, you know, what I would need to have for my business as income, you know, to actually have as income. I wouldn't want to have the full 100%, you know, as my bottom package per se, because that, you know, three, that would mean that I would only have to book one shoot a month. I mean, that would be kind of cool, but at the <laughs> same time, that just kind of gives it, a, gives you a little bit of wiggle room as far as, you know, taking that 30% off the top. It just gives you a little bit of wiggle room to have like for yourself, you know, you can always go up in that. Like if you want to start, if you want to start with $3,000 being, being that I, for me, it was scary to start at 
you know, $1,000 and $1,000 had to be my, my minimum package. I was very scared by that number. So I just took that and made it 70% um, because that was something my mentor said. You know, she was like, if, if 100% of that is two series and do 70, so that way you can at least just get, you know, you're profiting something um, versus just having random numbers. So really the, the, the percentages don't matter as, as much um, because you're still going to be breaking down your income after that. So whether it's 100% or 70, pick which one you're going to be more comfortable with. So if, if you're comfortable with your bottom package starting at $3,000, then, then do that. But if you're not comfortable with that, like I wasn't comfortable with that, so I wanted it to be 70% of it is what I wanted to make. So that way I knew that I would be profiting. Does that make sense or am I just making it even harder? Numbers are hard and that's why I feel like people get confused and I try not to make it too confusing and that's why I just say just 70% and go with it. And that way you can at least start somewhere versus getting too tied up in all of the technicalities of it. Because sure. I'm not an accountant and I'm not a numbers person. For me, it just gave me something to start with. So and, and a hundred yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, basically, that that seventy percent is is more a point of reference for establishing an initial price point than anything yes. else. Is that right? Yes, correct. So that's just seventy percent is just a point of reference. I thank you for clarifying because that it's it's not meaning anything else beyond just getting a point of reference of where you could start with a number sure. to, to start breaking that down. And you alluded to this earlier, but I think one of the bigger ideas that that our listeners need to consider too is. There is a lot more when it's very easy and, and I've been guilty of this in, in my past life to, to, yeah. to look at the money that you're that you have coming in and get really excited about it and, and very easily forget about the reality, which is that there are expenses to cover, there are taxes to pay. And your that's not your profit. That when that client pays you five hundred dollars or three hundred dollars or even a hundred dollars, that's not the money that's going in the bank. It's only going to be a exactly. fraction of that, and we have to take that in consideration. I think the other the bigger idea, big idea here that all our listeners need to also consider too is that when you do establish and uh, let's just say a business model to, to begin with, a business model which then ultimately drives how much we're going to charge that client. Um, that we shouldn't simply be considering what it takes to pay the bills. That is a good starting place, certainly. I mean, we need to be able to pay the yeah. bills, to pay the water bill, to pay the, the house payment or the rent payment and you know, to cover electricity and, and whatever other expenses may be associated with food and, and clothing and maybe associated with, with our, our family for ourselves, et cetera. But ultimately, we do want to create a sustainable business which enables us to thrive here. And that's that's ultimately what we're talking about. And in order to do that, we have to take into consideration that we do need to be putting money aside. We need to be saving for the long run. And that for the sake of mental and emotional health, we do need to be setting aside money for vacation, for time off. Um, just like you were saying, Mary, I mean, if, yeah. you, if you go to work for a, a company, uh, in many cases, you're going you're gonna to have money put aside for your retirement for you. And they give you some time off. And um, we need to be planning accordingly as responsible business owners as well. And so when we look at those numbers, we need to break it down, not just for the sake of needs, but also for saving, also for time mm -hmm. off. 
And again, I can't stress this enough because I, I made this mistake as well. You need to make sure that you're setting aside money, not just for expenses, but for taxes as well. So, so, so important yeah. because you can get caught up and lost in that, that whole thing if you aren't careful. Working with an accountant, you alluded to an accountant earlier, is really, really important. And uh, if, you, if those of you listening in are not actively working with an accountant, at least um, you know four times a year, you're paying your quarterly taxes, you need to get with somebody, look for a recommendation or a reference, and you need to get with an accountant, Have sit down, have a conversation, set up an account with QuickBooks Online or something comparable, and begin to proactively work with your numbers. None of this stuff is is exciting or sexy or fun per se. It is not. Um, but it is not. <laughs> it's as going back to one of our earlier points, it's the knowledge <clears throat> then, the awareness about actual information that enables us to be a more effective business owner, to establish a business that ultimately, again, not only meets our needs, but enables us to thrive, to create the life that we want to. And maybe we can close with this idea of, um, we've talked so many times about the significance of a big picture view here on the podcast. It's it's an idea, a phrase that Julie Morgenstern in her book, Time Management from the Inside Out, uh, that's, that's where I initially saw it. But the idea with a big picture view ultimately is it gives us a, a structure around which to build not only our personal life, but our business model. We know what we're actually reaching for in our own life. So our business model should be a reflection of that. And one of the things that I've talked about in, in presentations in the past with, with for photographers is that that big picture view, part of what it's driven by not only is the amount of money that we want to make for the sake of bills, for the sake of um, saving and investing and for the sake of being able to take vacations, but ultimately, this is this is the money that should enable us to live our our best life. This this idea that we have yeah. in mind. But unless we're clear about that, we're going to tend to flounder and kind of function haphazardly. So be clear not only about the money that we want to make for these purposes, but then as you said, also Mary, the amount of time that we want to invest, and that should help drive the pricing that we establish to offer our services at. And uh, I think we'll, we'll end with that. It's such a loaded conversation pricing ourselves, but I appreciate you sharing <laughs> your perspective today. And and not only on this topic, but on multiple topics. Thanks for making time for the book of podcast. Will you share with our listeners where they can uh, find you online just one more time? Yeah. So you can find me um, on Facebook, which is facebook.com slash Mary Broyer photos. That's where a lot of my interaction is. And then obviously on Instagram at Mary Broyer photos. And then my website, which is marybroyerphotos.com. Perfect. Thank you so much, Mary. And uh, thank you all for listening in. Have an absolutely wonderful day. Thanks so much for listening to the Boca Podcast today. Will you let us know what you think by leaving a review of the podcast in iTunes or maybe in the Apple Podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast, maybe suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My direct email is nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca Podcast is brought to you by Photographers Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com.